Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I, I got to be honest with you. I have had such a blast preaching over really the last several years. I have found such a new excitement for the word of God and not just the word of God, but to communicate it to you all. Even this morning, before I looked over any notes or was prepping for the morning, the first thing I did was I read the word of God for myself because I want the word of God to transform me before I ever expected to transform anybody else. This is what scripture says. Bad company corrupts good character. Amen, right? Right? So think about this. And I'm not going to have you do this because we are in the middle of a digital fast. If you were to scroll through your friends on social media, what type of people do you hang out with? Who are the people that you spend most of your time with? Are they people that sharpen you or give you an edge? Are they people who sharpen you or give you an edge? And, and I love when I look at Jesus, and I love that as he called his disciples, there came a point that people questioned Jesus' character by the individuals who he was inviting to follow him. But here's what was interesting about Jesus. Jesus invited others to follow him to sharpen him, even though people challenged that he was too edgy. Everyone he invited in, he wanted to bring transformation to his life. And so when we look at discipleship, we have to look at every single individual that God puts before us as a possible follower of Jesus. And is God calling you to step into their life so that your character, your presence that lives within you, starts shaping and molding others? I want us to look at discipleship. And who does God call? Why does he call? And how are you participating in the things of God? Pray with me. Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning. And God, I thank you for just the opportunity. God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor of, of every week getting up here to preach. And God, my prayer is for a fresh word that would bring a fresh fire to the hearts of every single person. God, last week was a blast. Last week was beautiful. Last week, we would say it was, was fire. Here's what I ask you to bring today. Bring the wind. Speak to the hearts of each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. Again, we are going through the gospel of Mark. Instead of exegeting the book, meaning we're going verse by verse by verse by verse, we're taking topics that are all surrounded in the gospel of Mark. There are five main topics that we would say that, that really surround Mark. And first and foremost is the one called discipleship. 
It says here in Mark chapter 2, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. So think about this. Last week, we had talked about four different characters. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. It's the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Again, he was already preaching, already doing miracles, already doing his things, and then he started inviting others to follow him. And we see these four individuals last week that when we study them, they're four individuals that, that, that really do make sense why Jesus would invite them. Good guys, hardworking just, just morally strong individuals, definitely dropped out of rabbi school, right? That's why they were fishermen, but, but they were good Jewish men. And then all of a sudden, you, you see this name, this new name, Levi, also called Matthew. Now, Matthew was working at the time. And again, we can't say that this was the first encounter that, that Levi had with Jesus because why would Levi just kind of pick up his life and just follow Jesus? No, there must have been several encounters. Again, you go through the Gospels and you kind of merge them all together and you see little encounters of the disciples and Jesus, but how the different authors of the Gospels spell them out, they kind of pick up the story where they want to pick it up themselves. But something had happened. So let's talk about Levi for a little bit. Levi was a tax collector. So in order to collect taxes from the Jewish people, the Roman government hired Jewish mathematicians, right? Accountants, people who were, who were really good with numbers. Anyone really good with numbers in here? Raise your hand. Anyone? Okay, there's more of you. How many of you are really bad with numbers? Can I see your hands? Okay, your hands went up a little too quick, just like mine right so for me is I'm not good at math never come to me to do your taxes seriously no seriously never come to me to balance your checkbook I can balance ours but that's it Sue's shaking her head no yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things ha 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 so in that in that he was really good with math and so the Roman government hired him again Levi like Andrew and Peter and James and John probably didn't make it all the way through rabbi school But had this other gift And he was good at math And so the Roman government would hire him to go around and collect taxes now tax collectors Did not have a very good reputation. We know that because what would happen is they would go, they would be hired by the Roman government, and the Roman government says, you get to charge this much taxes that we need to get, but then you get to add on another percentage. Whatever that percentage you put on it, it's your commission. And there was a window of how much they could add. So the really good tax collectors would only add a little bit because that way they could have an income but others took advantage of it. Think about salesmen. Any of you go for a new car recently, right? Anyone go for a new car recently, right? A couple of us, right? And in that, the number's so inflated 
And by the time you leave, you see this margin of error that you're like, how did they be able to charge this much? Because that was like a Levi. The more they charge, the more they made sticker price, they make a killing. But they know that's not what the car is worth. And so Levi, even though he was a Jewish man, he was corrupt. And he lived in a place of isolation. He lived in a place that, that people, people knew that when they saw him at temple, when all the whole, whole high holy holidays would show up, when they saw him show up to the synagogue, that they all kind of kept their distance. There's always probably that person that always kind of reached out to him to, to hopefully bring change and transformation in life. And, but, but yet, most people stayed away. I bet you he was kind of like a Christmas and, and Easter Christian, right? Probably showed up when, when he had to, when his wife forced him to go. Any men out there that have been forced to go to church, right? Don't shake your head yes. But, but there's this picture that Levi was this morally corrupt man. How many of you have watched The Chosen? Anyone watch The Chosen? I, I think watching The Chosen... One of the best parts of watching The Chosen is the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. Seriously. Because I really do believe that, that the best depiction of this scene, Jesus walking by the tax collector's booth and inviting Levi and the awkwardness that we get to see on screen rather than trying to have the pastor communicate it properly gives the best scenario. Levi questions. Huh? Me? Peter, Andrew, James, and John literally look at each other and kind of step away. Remember that, that scene? There's a questioning of character. And the questioning of character was, was even more than Levi's, but Jesus's character. Why? Because bad company corrupts good character. And there's this tension in that scene where, where Levi was the enemy. And if you really follow the chosen, it takes several episodes for this relationship to be worked out between the other disciples and Levi. Because there's this, always this fear of manipulation. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul. When he first became a believer, now remember he had this dramatic encounter. He became physically blind. And the only way that he saw again was that the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. And when you go through Acts, there are, there are several chapters that people are questioning Paul's character. That Paul was setting up the disciples for failure, to be arrested, to be thrown in jail, to be put to death. And so for the disciples, there was also this fear, also this tension. Levi is working for the enemy, which means Levi is the enemy. And then all of a sudden you see this dramatic turn. Jesus invites him to not only talk, but he makes this 
dramatic invitation. Come, be my disciple. It wasn't come, let's sit and talk, let me evangelize you, let me give you the gospel, let me help you out. He just, he just said, come, be my disciple. Follow me. So, let's do a little review. Let's talk about what we've been talking about the last two weeks. Discipleship. You see, if we fill this room with thousands of people, but no one's being discipled, we have missed the point. Amen? Right? I mean, think about that. God has called us into a relationship to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to be discipled so that we can do and experience the first things that Jesus preached on. What was the first thing that he preached on? Repent and believe. You remember the word for repentance? Say it again. Say it again. Metanoia. Metanoia means to have a change of mind. He said, change your mind. Change the way that you view God and view each other. And live in this new identity of who you are as a child of God. Repentance is not about feelings. It's not about feeling bad. Yes, you may have sorrow for when you look back and, and you see all the things that you've done wrong because you've had this major change of mind. I always say that when I became a follower of Jesus, it was the greatest and worst day of my life. Because in a moment, I had a metanoia. I had a change of mind that I actually believe that God gave me the vision to see a new perspective for how my life will look but I did live in sorrow for all the mess-ups and all the mistakes leading up to this point. But the reality is this. All those mess-ups and all those mistakes led me to the point that I needed to have a change of mind. That's repentance. And belief is this idea of, of action. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to step out in faith? How is this new perspective, this, this new mindset going to shape the, the rest of the way that I live my life? Like there has to be moments of tears of joy in your life that you literally look back and you're like, wow, I'm not that person anymore. I don't even think that way. I don't even act that way. I may have nudges because of my flesh, but never, never. Would I want to be that person again? You see, belief and action is this, this place that you start building guardrails in your life so that you can live in, the, in the, the coolness of God. What do I mean by coolness? I don't mean hip. I mean the refreshment of God. You see, following Jesus should be refreshing. It should be like a, a, a cold glass of water on a really hot day. And so repentance is having this moment where you have a change of mind and then you say, all my actions, I will believe, I will act on that new mindset. And every time I mess up, I stand back up and I do it again. 
I keep following Jesus and following Jesus and following Jesus and following Jesus and following Jesus. And every time I fall, I stand up. And every time I fall, I stand up. And every time I fall, I stand up. And I learn to start walking with Jesus. You see, Kairos moments. We also talked about that. Those divine moments that God shows up in your every single day where you learn to say yes to God. Because every time you say yes to God, you step out in faith with him. So what does it mean to be a disciple? One, you're attentive to the work of God in your life. You're willing to have a Kairos moment. You're willing to open your heart and your mind to the things that God is doing around you. Two, you're saying, God, I want to have a metanoia. I want you to change my mind. I I love the skit about the marriage, right? So much of marriage is changing our perspective of how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we see our spouse. Our Our spouses are not our enemies. God has given us our spouse to really make life better to better us, to sharpen us, to mold us into to the image of Christ. Marriage is the most holy act of sanctification. Do you know that? It really is. It puts you in a place where you have to literally work through life, work through faith, work through circumstances together, all in the name of Jesus. Change of mind. And then how do you believe? How do you act? So think about this. Levi must have heard this message. Levi must have seen the miraculous. Levi, in some capacity, had watched and listened to the divine so much that when Jesus just showed up, he saw the divine staring him in his eyes. And even though he was a man of bad character, Jesus saw through all of the wounds, all of the sorrows, all of the insecurities that were living and really driving Levi. And in that divine moment, he left. He left to follow Jesus. Now let me say this. It wasn't that Levi's vocation was wrong. It was how he was working in the midst of his vocation. It was how he was allowing his vocation to drive him and his character. And he recognized that his vocation was so spiritually dangerous that he wasn't mature enough to continue to do what he was doing in the way that God was going to invite him to to do it. You see, for many of you, in your vocations, you need to have a metanoia. You need to have a change of mind. You need to have a change of perspective. And God is saying, let your vocation sharp your character. Amen? Right? Let your vocation, let your place of work be your gospel vehicle and be part of the sanctifying process that Jesus is doing in your life. But then there's some of you, you can't handle it. You can't do it. It's literally corrupting your soul. 
And so for Levi, he looked into the eyes of the divine, and he dropped everything, and he followed him. Think about the contrast of characters. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and Levi. Four really good men, and then the knucklehead. Right? Imagine that. Mark 2, verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Look at the writings. Look at the writings. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So Levi, in his excitement, what does he do? He says, Jesus, come on over. I'm throwing a party. I'm throwing a party. When was the last time any of you threw a party at your house? Maybe three years ago, right? right? Think about that. What about you as followers of Jesus? When was the last time you just threw like a massive party and you invited all your friends over just to spend time with, with you and for your friends to co-mingle, for your friends to cross-pollinate? When was the last time you invited people over because you just love them and you don't care anything about their circumstances, but you say, I want to be with you? Put it on top of this, you have a very distinguished guest of honor. And Levi, all he wants to do is he wants all of his friends, all his disreputable people to look into the eyes who changed his life in a moment. I mean, think about disreputable. Now, now here's the funny thing about Mark. Remember his real name, John Mark? John Mark was a knucklehead. Like, seriously, when you study the Gospels and you look at Acts, John Mark was a knucklehead. Paul wouldn't hang out with John Mark anymore. Do you know that? There was a season where Paul said, Barnabas, you can have him. He's too much trouble. So I think when John Mark penned down people just like Levi, he's like, and I'm a lot like him. I'm more like Levi than I am Peter, James, John, or Andrew. I really think that even though Levi is in all of the Gospels, I think when Mark wrote this and brought it so early in his Gospel, there was a reason because he saw how Jesus saw him and how other people saw him. And so there's this massive party going on. They're having a blast. They're eating. They're drinking. They're celebrating. The music's playing. They're listening to vinyl. Anyone listen to vinyl in here? That's biblical, right? So, so in this, like this whole idea. But some of these people were liars, were cheaters. You remember that kid in high school and your parents were like, you're not hanging out with them. Come on, just let so-and-so come over. You're not hanging out with them. Why? Because you know what they do. They cheat, they manipulate, they throw parties. They always get caught. Right? Disreputable people. And as a parent, you look out for the well-being of your children. But we also know that there's disreputable people in our life. Look at work. The person who cheats. The person who manipulates. The wheeler, the dealer, 
The one who could talk a really big game, but has zero follow-through. Matter of fact, they gain from your hard work. We know those people. They're always the friendliest in the office in the beginning. But soon you want nothing to do with them. And what do you do? You avoid them. And you're thinking, wow, they really do need Jesus. Amen? But yet you want zero relationship with him. Because bad company put you in their pool. Who you associate with is the association that, that other people see you. I love when you're reading this that literally what you see is that there was no tension. Somehow Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they got over themselves and they were participating. They were hanging out. They were watching all the things that Jesus was doing and how Jesus handled himself in public. Verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Pretty strong language. Scum. Now that's the English translation. Lowly. Vile. Corrupted individuals. I remember in the 80s, any of us from the 80s, right? Right, right? 90s, 90s, anyone? Right? 2000s, anyone? Right? Was anyone not born here? Right? <laughs> right? The word we would use was loser. Such a loser, man. Right? You remember that? Loser. Like John remembers that, right? Like, like loser and scum went hand in hand. Like, you're like, dude, don't hang out with them. They're a loser. They're a low life. Like, 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 they have nothing going for them. If you hang out with them, they are trouble. Like, have you ever had a parent tell you that someone's a loser? Huh? Have your parents ever said, like, dude, don't hang out with them. They're losers. I'm not saying that my parents said that. I might be saying that they said that, but I'm not saying that they said that. But, but there's this warning that you know of. That there are people that you should not associate with. And I love this because the Pharisees were not invited to the party. They weren't invited to the party. They weren't supposed to be there. So in other words, they followed Jesus. They heard of the Levi encounter, or they witnessed the Levi encounter, and from a distance, they would not go in. And I bet you, I really, really bet you that if they wanted to go in, Levi would have let him come in. And Levi would have probably said, hey, listen to this guy. He's amazing. He's better than you. Right? Think about that. But they watched from a distance. And they pulled the disciples aside. Hey, Peter, come out here. Simon, get out here. Andrew, come here. We need to ask you some questions about the good teacher. Because that was the nickname, the good 
teacher. Why does he hang out with such scum? Why does he hang out with just so disreputable people? How is there anything good about this, this man of God that can heal people and deliver people and make the blind see and the lame walk and the dead rise, but, but, but after all the good that he does, look at his company. And, and there's such a, a missing the point that's happening here. They're not seeing what Jesus is up to. They don't see that Jesus is seeing through circumstance into the heart of people so that he could speak life into each and every one of them. Why did they miss the point? Because they were good. They were the religious standard of the day. They were the ones that, that outwardly did everything right. They would get up. They would read the Torah. They would go to synagogue. They would go to temple. They would host people. But really, when you study the Pharisees, the vast majority of them missed the point. I mean, think about how many Christians missed the point. Think about how many Christians play the game. They, they read their Bible. They go to a small group. They show up at church, but, but they're angry and resentful and bitter. And they're actually just as manipulative as Levi. They just do it in a really holy way. Right? Do I get an amen? How many of you left the church for years because they were sick of the pharisaical games? Right? Seriously. How many of us literally saw people play the game really well, but their character was horrific? I grew up that way. I grew up that way. And I'll be honest with you, I could smell it a mile away. Pastor, 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 pastor. Come on, man, don't manipulate me. You think you're going to play me? Don't play a player. Right? Don't play a player. And Jesus said, don't play the role of God. Two, they were jealous. Jealousy is a deep, deep sin that drives us to say things and think things and do things that are in complete opposition of the things of God. They wanted Jesus to hang out with him. They wanted Jesus to do things their way. They wanted Jesus to fit into their box. How he looked, how he dressed, how he acted, who he hung out with, the religious laws that, that he had to keep even above them. And even though they kept them, they actually in their heart, they were breaking every single law. And third, they were terrified of this new way of following God. Have you ever come to church and you're like, ooh, guess who I saw today? You ever been to a conference, a Christian conference, like, what are they doing here? Have you showed up to a volunteering event and you're like, yeah, they're in the wrong room. 
And yet we don't know what's going on in each and every individual. Jesus in the very beginning was doing the kingdom work. Asking people to have a change of mind. Begin to see others as God sees you. Begin to treat others as God treats you. And so if Jesus is the reflection of the Father, the way that Jesus saw others and the way that Jesus treated others was in, cor was in correct correlation with the things of God. And that was something that the other disciples were learning at the very beginning of what it means to be a disciple. It's all about discipleship. It's all about, about putting yourself in a situation where you are being changed. It's all about you putting yourself in an environment where you allow God to see you for who you are so that you can start living in your identity of who you are as a child of God. If you think going to church saves you, you have missed the point of the gospel. Seriously. If you think that just kind of showing up makes you loved by God, you've missed the point. Watch what Jesus says. And, and it's funny because when we read this, we have to allow our, our imagination to take over. I'm reading a great book by C.S. Lewis. Remember I said when I really love a book, I read it twice, right? I always say if I really read a book, I read it twice. I, I'm rereading the book by C.S. Lewis, The Reading Life. And it's this book about, about the love of reading, the need for reading. And it's not just about this idea of reading things that give me information, but things that expand my mind. And I love that, that C.S. Lewis talks about the, the importance of creativity. And so, think about this. Do you see like one of the disciples saying, hey, I gotta tell you what's going on outside. There's a conflict. This is what's happening. And Jesus makes a simple statement to that one disciple. Or do the Pharisees kind of barge in and, and just say, hey, Jesus, was our conflict? Or does Jesus step outside and say, hey, don't disrupt what's going to about to happen? Well, like, how did this whole thing happen? Who was supposed to hear the next few words of Jesus? Look what Jesus says. He says, when Jesus heard this, whether through a disciple or someone else, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Epictetus. The great Stoic philosopher called the teachings of Jesus medicine of salvation. Medicine of salvation. 
I mean, think about this. When people throughout history have read the teachings of Jesus, one Stoic philosopher said the words of Jesus were the medicine of salvation. Salvation means life. It doesn't mean get out of jail free card. It means salvation means life. When we have salvation, we are rescued from death to live in life. Salvation in a, in a biblical terminology is a very dangerous word for how we've interpreted it. It only means life. It doesn't mean get out of jail free card. It means life. Who goes to the doctor? Those who think they're sick. Who goes to the doctor? Those that have symptoms. Who goes to the doctor? Those who want to get checked up to make sure everything is okay. And Jesus says, I and the doctor of eternity. And everyone in this room is here for a spiritual checkup. And they are willing to listen to the advice of the doctor from heaven. Every single person Jesus talked to in that room stayed there because they recognized that there was something broken in them. And Jesus was the one who had the prescription for their soul. How powerful is that? How powerful is that? Do you come to church to be told what you believe to affirm your beliefs? Or do you come to church and be part of discipleship so that God can challenge your beliefs, sharpen who you are, and bring medicine for the soul? What does it mean to be a disciple? I want to conclude with this. Levi is actually like most people. No, 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 no. I'm more like, I'm more like Peter. I'm more like Andrew. I'm more like James. I'm more like John. No, no, you're not. You're not. The vast majority of people are probably more like Levi than the others. They've allowed the things of the world to creep into their hearts to cause some form of spiritual corruption. Amen? Is that fair? Is that fair to say? That, that we, all of us, in some capacity, have allowed the things of this world to cause some form of spiritual corruption. We don't see that, that he murdered anyone. We don't see that, that he did this horrific crime that threw him in jail. He was living in the framework that he was allowed to. But yet there was deep corruption. Let me ask you a hard question. What corruptions do you need to leave at the feet of Jesus? Seriously. What corruptions do you need to leave at the feet of Jesus? You know what I love about Levi? How quick he responded to the things of Jesus. How quick? Reactionary. How quick are you responding to the invitations of Jesus? How quick? 
When the Holy Spirit nudges you, do you follow or do you question and you challenge God and then he brings you back to the same conviction every single time? You know what I love about Levi? He was so quick to respond. Discipleship's not about perfection. It's the willingness to respond to the invitation of Jesus. And lastly, I think Levi got it better than anyone. You know what he did? He acted on this Holy Spirit impulse to share the things that God was up to in his life. Think about that. He just responded and he had this massive party and he invited all of his friends to experience what he just did. Peter didn't do that. Andrew didn't do that. James didn't do that. John didn't do that. Levi, the scum, the loser of the group, responded by not only wanting to know Christ, but he wanted to make him known. That's being a disciple. Amen? I want to ask you, what are the corruptions that hold you back? They can be little corruptions of the heart or they can be big ones. Two, is this the year that you have a metanoia moment that you start allowing yourself to respond quickly to the things of God? And lastly, when was the last time you threw a party? We as Christians need to party harder than anybody else. Amen? I'm serious. We Christians need to party harder than anyone else because we are possessors of eternity. Do you know the first time I ever got to share the gospel with my neighbor was when I was throwing an Oktoberfest? <gasps> Pastor Rob threw an Oktoberfest. Dude, it was the coolest party I've ever thrown. It was a bash. My one neighbor, who's an atheist yet Jewish by birth, he says, why do you do what you do? And I just got to share her my hope for the medicine of my soul, where it came from. Be like Levi. Because when you are like Levi, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Anyone need this this morning? I invite the band to come up and let's pray. Jesus, I ask you right now that we would allow our hearts to have a change, a transformation. I ask that we would be like Levi, quick to the response of the things that you invite us into. And I ask that we wouldn't want to selfishly know you, but just as important, we would want to make you known. Allow for this song of worship to be a time where you're laying down a corruption of your heart and you learn to respond to Jesus a whole lot quicker than what you're used to.
It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.